Several years ago, I was serving as a youth minister for a church, and we were searching for a preacher, and there was one man's name who kept coming to our attention, uh, saying we really need to consider him. And uh, there was one deacon who did not really care much for this preacher, so someone asked him what was his concern. And his comment was this, all he ever talks about is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, they eventually hired that Jesus preaching man, and the church has been blessed exponentially. For the last several months, we've been preaching Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I want to thank you for your continued encouragement on this series of lessons. We're going to bring it to a conclusion today. Um, You might want to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. That's going to be the verse we're going to begin with. Uh, One of my favorite encouragements came just this week. I was telling Celia about some of the good things going on in Faith Farm, especially on Wednesday nights. And then I got this thank you note, and I put a picture on the screen. You can see it as well. Just Dear Mr. Owens, on Wednesday night, our uh, class studied about sharing Jesus. We want to thank you for sharing Jesus with us. So I say thank you to Molly and Sadie and Lily and Ethan and Canaan and Connor and Elizabeth and Charlotte, Lenora and Coleman. Uh, You made my day. Uh, I hope we are a church that is always sharing Jesus. One man was bragging to a friend how he really did well in buying his wife a birthday present. He said, I got my wife a big diamond ring. His friend said, well, that's great, but I thought you said she wanted a four-wheel drive SUV. He said, yeah, but where am I going to find a fake Jeep? (laughs) There are a lot of things in life that are fake. We decorate our houses with fake flowers. We put out fake pumpkins. A couple of months, we'll put out fake trees. We have fake decoys for hunting. So we interact with one another. We have fake smiles sometimes or fake responses. I think sometimes we become increasingly weary and tired of fake and phony. We love it when somebody can just be real with us. And we can see straight through all the, the, the extra and just see their heart. Just like the wise men did at Jesus' birth, wise men and women are able to distinguish what is real and what is phony. And just like those first wise men, we need to find the real king and give worship to him alone. The next time Jesus comes, there will be no doubt in anyone's mind that he is king. Look at these words, Revelation 19, beginning of verse 11. John's sharing. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth come a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings 
and Lord of Lords. We're going to bring our study of the names of Jesus to a close. And I want to share four principles about this amazing name, this very powerful title, King of Kings. The first one is this, King of Kings affirms the total and final rulership of Jesus. King of Kings affirms the total and final rulership of Jesus. It's hard to find a name that's more impressive than King of Kings. But this title, this description, is not like John just said it for the first time. King of Kings is a title that has been used for centuries and centuries. When God's people were dealing with the Assyrian, the Babylonian, the Persian empires, when someone came to power, they would often be called or call themselves the King of Kings. Let me give you an example straight from the Bible. In the book of Ezra, Artaxerxes, king of the Persian empire, wrote a letter to Ezra. Note the wording here. Chapter 7, verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. And then verse 12, it opens, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest. Quite a name to call yourself. King of kings. It wasn't just that you're the king, you're the king over other kings. Like your kingdom is bigger than other kingdoms. This all-encompassing, all-power, your kingdom covers more than just your kingdom. Now, for the children of God, for the Hebrew people, even though they were subject to these monarchs and often you know, against their will, they believed in their hearts that Yahweh still reigned. He was superior to all these kings, including anyone who might call himself king of kings. And they would sing about it. Look at Psalm 136. I think it helps us to see verses 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. So they would say, they would worship, they would say to each other, our God is above all these monarchs, all these kings, all these rulers. And even though they were absolutely right, even they would admit there were times, there were seasons, sometimes years, there were dark times in their history where it did not look like God was king. It did not look like he was ruling Nevertheless, their confidence remains strong. There's coming a day. There will come a day when the true king of kings will arrive and he's going to expose all of these imposters. So when these other guys would call themselves king of kings, God people would say to themselves, yeah, but the day is coming when the true king will reveal himself to the world. Now, during the exile, the people of God saw this up close. At one time, the king of kings was a man named Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia. The Bible tells us he had a dream. You might remember the story that it just disturbed him greatly. So much so, he summoned some of his wise men to come. Those that, uh, that were astrologers, those who dabbled in the occult, said, tell me my dream and tell me what it means. Well, they couldn't do that. In fact, they said, only the gods can do that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't take that answer. In fact, he became so angry, he ordered all of the wise men to be killed. Well, all of the wise men, if you recall, that included Daniel. 
So when word went out, they started gathering all the wise men to take their lives. Daniel said, wait, what's going on? And they told him the story. He said, give me some time. And you remember, he went to his fellow Hebrews there and said, pray. And they did. And that very night, God revealed to Daniel the dream and what it meant. So they brought Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel said, it's not because I'm special. It's because God is almighty. And he revealed your heart to me. So then he shared. You remember this dream? He said, your head, your head is the statue of solid gold. Their shoulders and, uh, the shoulders and chest were made of silver. The waist and thighs were made of bronze. The leg and feet are made of iron and clay. Then you saw a stone not carved with human hands. And that stone struck the image and became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And then Daniel told him what it meant. You, king, are the head of gold. And after you will rise another empire of inferior strength and then another empire and then a fourth empire. And when that fourth empire is ruling, there's going to come a kingdom from the hand of God and it's going to crush all the kingdoms of men and it will reign forever. This is the dream you dreamed. And then look in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone cut from the mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has been known to the, to the king. What shall be after this? The dream is certain. And its interpretation, sure. And notice this man who called himself the king of kings, how he responded. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery this is what the Hebrew people believed. This is what they hung on to, even during those dark days, that the God of heaven, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, someday is going to establish a kingdom that's going to fill the earth. And you see this over and over again in Scripture. For example, a prophecy like Zechariah 14.9, The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and His name the only name. Now, as Christians, we believe that all these prophecies came true through the coming of Jesus Christ. Because we know that after the Persian Empire came the Babylonian Empire, then the Greek Empire, then the Roman Empire. And during that Roman Empire, a baby was born. A child was given. Remember what the wise men said when they came looking for Jesus? Where is the king? That's what they wanted to know. Jesus would be the king and his kingdom would spread and fill the whole earth just like he said. So John's vision of this coming on a white stallion reminds us that his rule is not only total, it is final. It is permanent as it is complete. But that's not to say that everybody's going to believe. In fact, some will mock his kingdom. It's always happened. I was reading about Nikita Khrushchev, younger ones you might remember studying him. Some of you who are older than me might remember him. 
He was the leader of the Soviet Empire. He made the claim he was going to take the very last Christian in the Soviet Russia and parade him on television by 1965. You know what happened? He wasn't ruling in 1965. And the Christians prevailed. The kingdom of the king of kings still endures. Look at Psalm 145, verse 1. I will extol you, my God and king, and bless your name forever and ever. Your kingdom, verse 13, is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. This Old Testament, they're talking about what's going to come. See, I think it's important that we understand and focus our praise on Jesus as the king of kings because it's true. It is true. So let's understand what that means for you and me. And that's the second point. King of Kings assures Christ rules over everything. This title assures that Christ rules over everything. And you might even add that we are under. And let's talk about that. Maybe it's not hard for us to read John's words and believe what John saw, that he will return as king of kings. The problem, the challenge, the way I see us struggling today is to believe that he is absolute sovereign right now. Even in the midst of some very difficult circumstances that we may be in. See, king of kings is not a promotion that Jesus is going to get one day. This is not something that's going to happen in the future. He doesn't grow into the position. He's not waiting to be crowned. Jesus is king of kings this very moment. He's never been an equal. He's never been outranked. He's never been undermined. He will never be overthrown. Let me put it like this. Anything you're going through, anything that you're going through, that you may be over your head, is under his feet. Think about that. If you struggle, go back and read Ephesians chapter 1, where where Paul talks about how everything is under Jesus' feet. The whole book of Colossians is about the supremacy of Christ. That message is throughout Scripture. So where do you under? Where is your struggle? Maybe for you it's a health issue. Maybe it's a money matter. Maybe it's a relationship gone sour. Maybe it's a temptation that just seems to be relentless. Whatever storm you are in, he is over. That's what that title, King of King, tells us. Remember when the disciples were in the storm and they thought they were going to die and Jesus comes walking on the storm. The very thing that they were afraid of, he was over. And he showed his power in that very moment. You may have heard this line before. I don't know who said it first. The will of Christ is never going to take us where the grace of Christ cannot keep us. But better, look at what Scripture says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You're probably familiar with that passage. But I think it's key to note the order here. First things first, you humble yourself before God. Then you cast your care on him. First you acknowledge that he is king of kings, that he is over, that he is sovereign over whatever it is that has you anxious, that's bothering you, that's on your heart. 
He is absolutely sovereign over whatever you are struggling with. Do you believe that Jesus is over everything? Well, here's something else. The third thing about this name. King of Kings appeals to every person to willingly dethrone self. When Jesus was born king, who was the first person to radically oppose him? Do you recall? It was another king. It was Herod. I mean, he's just a baby. I mean, he, he not even started yet. One author said this, Herod is a symbol of unrepentant man for every man who passionately fights for self-sovereignty. And it makes me wonder if there's not a little Herod spirit in every single one of us. In 1971, Muhammad Ali was about to have a prize fight with Joe Frazier. He was interviewed by Life magazine. If you remember him, you know, he was, um, well, he was something. And he would talk about that. So let me just share just a little excerpt from that interview. He said, this is Ali speaking, there seems to be some confusion. We're going to clear this up on March the 8th. We're going to decide once for all who is king. There's not a man alive who can whoop me. I'm too smart. I'm too pretty. I am the greatest. I am the king. I should be a postage stamp. That's the only way I could get licked. You might want to know he lost that fight. But a lot of people, in ways less brazen, perhaps less public, but no less defiant, say the same thing to God. No one is over me. I can run my life. I'm in control. Nobody tells me what to do. Here's the truth. One day, one day all the counterfeit kingdoms will be exposed and fail, and the people who have opposed the reign of God will be exposed. But now, by God's grace, you still have time to get off the throne and to accept Christ as king. Remember the sermon, the message that Jesus preached so often? John the Baptist even started it. But Mark 1.15, just first chapter. And you remember this message? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That was his message. And you read that over and over again. You never got Jesus off that message. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. Through Jesus, the rule of God is available to people. So get off the throne dethrone yourself is what he's saying there and every person is going to be judged by how much you legitimized the throne of Jesus did you get off the throne and did you put him on the throne and you and I both know we have to do that every day that's not just a one time decision that I believe in Jesus it's every day and sometimes multiple times a day Sometimes in those moments of temptation, who's going to win? Who's in control? And we have to again acknowledge Jesus is the King of Kings. Is that not why Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come? Your kingdom come. But even when we want to submit, we want to yield, by default, ourselves just take over. 
It's almost like when we're not looking, we're, we're back on the throne. It's, it's like it's in there, and, and it, sometimes it's as, as if we can't help ourselves. So we have to be proactive about that and decide every day, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Because the devil has been whispering lies into our ears. You're your own boss. You can make your own way. You can be the master of your own fate. No one can tell you what to do. And we believe that. It's kind of part of our national fabric. And we're proud of that. But that's not the message of the King of Kings. Because a wise person can determine who's the real king and who are the phonies. And John's vision is a powerful reminder that the crown only belongs to Jesus. Do you know the difference between a Christian and someone who's not? Someone who's walking with the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit, and someone who is not? A Christian can see this now. Now one day, everybody's going to see it. That's, that's what the book of Revelation is talking about. Excuse me, everybody sees it. But a Christian, we can see this right now. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Look at the wording here. He begins by quoting Psalm 8. You made him a little lower, while, little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We see him crowned with glory. If you are a child of God, you spiritually have eyes that are open and you can see that. That's the difference. One day everybody's going to see that, but you can see it now. Now, even though it looks like there's other kingdoms dominating, other kingdoms winning, and the rule of God seems to be pushed aside and mocked and spat upon still, you know He is King of kings and He is still sovereign. You see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. And that's why I can dethrone myself. Because you acknowledge everything else is just a fake. Well, that leads to the fourth point. King of Kings announces that Christ's rule, now fully viable, will one day be fully visible. One day, everybody's going to see it. We know that what started in Bethlehem was just a crowd, small crowd of people handful of people really, one day will be consummated in the presence of the whole world. And on that day, think about it, all the powers that be will be the powers that have been. It's over. Look at Titus chapter 2 verse 13. We wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And look at the wording here in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 10. On the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed, this includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. See, when Jesus first came, we read verses about people marveling or being amazed, but not everybody marveled. Not everybody were amazed at Jesus. 
The wise men had to ask, where is the king? But mark it down. When Jesus comes back, that's the vision. That's what John is helping us to see here. Nobody's going to guess. Everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to see it with their own eyes. Who is riding on that white horse? The next time he comes will be so unlike the first time. The first time he came as a baby. The next time as a warrior. The first time only a few people saw. The next time the whole world is going to see. The first time the glory was wrapped in flesh, the Bible says. The next time the glory will fill the universe. The first time he wore swaddling clothes. The next time he wears robes of royalty. The first time he was surrounded by farm animals. The next time he's riding on this white horse. The first time the angels announced the peace on earth. The next time Jesus comes to make war against his enemies. The first time he came for all men. The next time he's only coming for his own. The first time there was judgment on his head. The second time he will be the judge. The first time God said his name shall be called Jesus. The next time he comes, it's his King of Kings and Lord of Lords. One more thing. The first time he came, worship was an option. But when he comes back, every knee will bow. Everyone will see. That Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. We will see the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week I mentioned that we were going to conclude this series talking about the King of kings. And one of our song leaders said to another, hey, you should lead Handel's Messiah. Are you familiar with Handel's Messiah? I wish we could sing Handel's Messiah. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. It takes skilled singers. You know that. Some of you are good enough. But what a piece of music. Not easy to sing, though. In fact, you could even get lost in the, the orchestration and miss the meaning of the words. But it's not written to entertain. It's written to point us to the King of Kings. And worship. Let me tell you the backstory of that beautiful piece of music. George Friedrich Handel was mainly a composer of operas, dozens of them. And though they're very popular in the 18th century London, he had his critics and even his enemies. For one, he was considered an outsider, a foreigner, because he was from Germany, not from England. And by many accounts, he was a very unlikable person. His rivals detested his style of opera. He was thought to be awkward, kind of a rough fella, hot-tempered enough to be nicknamed the Great Bear. When his operas and his health began to fail, he sank into bankruptcy and even despair, thinking his career was over. The year was 1741. He was invited to Ireland to direct one of his pieces at a charity performance. And then he decided to write a new oratorio. But instead of the common themes of the operas of his day, he chose the text and the themes from Scripture. And something remarkable happened. 
he began composing with almost superhuman zeal and energy. People thought he was mad, or maybe even under a spell. One servant reported that Handel seldom ate or slept and worked with such a frenzy that his fingers could no longer grip the pen. Some described it as the grip of divine inspiration. And the result is a masterpiece. Handel finished part one in six days, part two in nine days, part three in six days. If you're familiar with it, you know it's two and a half hours long. The orchestration took him a few more days. In other words, two and a half hours of the world's most magnificent music was composed in less than 25 days. When he was finished, he was overwhelmed. And this is what he said. I think that I did see all of heaven before me and the great God himself. Messiah recounts the prophecies of Christ, his triumphant birth, all kinds of scripture, including passages like, for unto us, unto us a child is born, the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. In fact, Messiah pulls from Psalms, Job, Isaiah, Lamentations, Haggai, Malachi, Zechariah, Matthew, Luke, John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, and Revelation. It premiered in Dublin in 1742. Instant success. At the London premiere... When they got to the Hallelujah Chorus, and they were singing the words, The Lord God omnipotent reigneth, King George in the audience was so overwhelmed, he stood up, and everyone else did too. And it's been the same tradition for 279 years. Handel's lyrics are God's words. King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. 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 Handel could have been enormously wealthy because of the success of this. But he chose for all the proceeds to go to charity. And after writing the piece, he became extremely devoted to God. He went to worship twice a day. He really did believe that God gave him that music. Now, that may not be your favorite, but let me encourage you this afternoon, this evening, one day this week, just get online and Google that and just listen to just the last section. I think you'll be moved. But what could we sing? Could we sing these words? My hope is built on nothing less. Than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Could you sing that? Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. Then He shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in Him be found. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne.
we're all going to stand before the throne. The question is, are you in his kingdom? We're going to sing this song and encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Or if we can pray for you, would you come as we stand and sing together? The Lord.